The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is B. Claymore, writer of the upcoming Aloha Hawaiian Dick from Image Comics, among other things. And you're listening to the Two Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 218, where we're talking about comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, July 29th. My name is Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not failing to come up with reasons to skip this week's show, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm Keith Binder, at Keith Binder on the Twitter and Instagram. And when I'm not stepping up to shoulder two lazy podcast hosts, I'm a freelance photographer in Omaha, Nebraska, which is a nice way of saying I'm unemployed, just in case you know anyone that's hiring out there. Instagram, Keith, really? Oh, Oh, yeah, it's a thing. This week, you'll hear our reviews of The Shrinking Man, number one, and Star Wars, number seven. After that, we'll review ten of this week's new comics faster than I can give up trying to think of new jokes during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where only the power of the Infinity Gems can overcome my apathy about next week's comics. Are you sensing the theme? Finally, we'll take a moment to say goodbye to an old friend in our Catching Up on the Pile segment, which I still have not come up with a better name for. Are you ready for this, Keith? Yeah. Because one of us needs to be. Let's talk about this week's big news! We got big news! It looks like Captain Kirk is set to join the DC Cinematic Universe. The rap has reported that Star Trek star Chris Pine has signed a multi-picture deal to appear as Steve Trevor, starting with the Wonder Woman solo film starring Gal Gadot. The rap indicated that Trevor's role will be more than that of a simple love interest, and will include plenty of action. Warner Brothers has not confirmed the report as of this recording, and I'm kind of hoping it's wrong. Am I the only one that thought that Pine would make a perfect Hal Jordan? Keith, back me up! Oh man, he would be the perfect Hal Jordan for this iteration of DC movies. Um, Do we know it's Steve Trevor? Well, yeah, they 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 say say Steve Trevor, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, there's another pilot in the DC Universe that is tangentially connected with Wonder Woman. His name is Hal Jordan. (laughs) Right. No, no, it specifically says Hal Jordan, but wouldn't that be something? Yeah, (laughs) why not? (laughs) They've messed everything else up. Why not? If this report is accurate, it might lend credence to the rumor that Jon Stewart is going to be the lead in the Green Lantern Corps movie. Which is also awesome. Maybe they're not going to do Hal at all. Maybe they're just going to skip rebooting Hal. Yeah, they didn't need to do it for the animated series, so might as well. I mean, there's a whole generation of of kids that grew up thinking that Jon Stewart was the Green Lantern. Oh, yeah. When the Green Lantern movie came out, they were like, oh, they made Green Lantern white. Like a whole bunch of that. And I was like, that's that's fun. I like that that's happening. That's fair. That's a fair point. I'm a little bummed Mm -hmm. because he would have been he really would have been a great Hal Jordan. For sure. But. I can't deny that I would be fine if they skipped Hal and he would make a really great Steve Trevor. Yeah. And if they do the like new 52 style Steve Trevor, there is going to be a lot more action with that guy. Yeah. Cause he's like secret agent guy yeah. and the whole deal. Not to downplay the role of, of supporting characters in these movies, but right. Chris Pine is a pretty major star at this point, And f- for him to get 
this role instead of superhero character X. Yeah. I would have taken him as Booster Gold, too. Oh, Booster Gold. Yeah. Speaking of the rap, the comic gods giveth and the comic gods taketh away. The Hollywood trade reports that She's the Man star Charming Tater is dropping out of Fox's upcoming Gambit movie. No! It's unclear why Tatum would want to leave the project, considering how much he's been promoting it as recently as this year's Comic-Con. However, the rap site sources close to the situation, claiming that Tatum's reps are still in, quote, active discussions of the actor's role in the film, adding, quote, something is up. Gambit was set to begin shooting this fall for an October 7th, 2016 release date, but look for that to change if these reports are true. Joe Patrick, how are you holding up? I just got done defending that guy to Matt Bomb. I'm a big fan. In all seriousness, I am a fan of Channing Tatum. Oh, yeah. He's the most charming guy in Hollywood. I really do like him. He's got a lot of personality, and like Jules Winfield said, personality goes a long way. I think he needs to step up and do this role. Hey-oh! See, you can make these kind of jokes all day. She's the oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Step up to the streets. Oh, man. was he in that one? I don't he was know. in Step Up and Step Up to colon the streets. <laughs> I do think that he seemed like an odd fit for this character. Well, hopefully we were going to get a different kind of gambit than the one we're used to. Is it still gambit? Oh, geez. If it looks like gambit and it smells like gambit, but it doesn't drop annoying Cajun slang in every sentence, is it still gambit? I don't know. Um, no, <laughs> I don't have a horse in this race, really. And I don't have anything against Channing Tatum. And, and though I thought uh, it's kind of an odd pick for Gambit, but whatever, I'll watch it. I really couldn't tell you who I think would do a better job as Gambit. Yeah. Confession time. I have Gambit tattooed on my leg. Yeah, it's maybe, there. Maybe you should play Gambit. I don't think I can pull that off. I can't fit in the spandex. The Hollywood rumor mill kept churning mightily this week, serving up a report that Disney and Lucasfilm are looking to Netflix for a rapid expansion of the new Star Wars universe. Citing no sources whatsoever, Cinelinks has reported that Disney is close to making a deal to bring three live-action Star Wars series to Netflix. There's nothing to back up this report yet, but such a deal would not be unprecedented. Disney already has a solid relationship with Netflix thanks to the success of their direct-to-VOD Marvel shows so far, and Netflix was the home of the previously unaired final season of Star Wars The Clone Wars. So, Keith, as the Ziggurat's foremost Star Wars expert in residence, do you put any credence in these rumors, and what Star Wars shows would you want to see make the jump to Netflix? I think if you do a show about Bothan spies, that would be pretty great. I don't know what that means, but you, cool. Come on, man. They got the, they got the, the many Bothans died to bring us this information. I get it. Come on. They're the, they're the spies. I'd like to the see. Rebel Alliance. I think I would like to see the period in between Jedi and the new movie explored because. Oh yeah. That's 30 years of stuff. I mean, yeah, all the, all these stories are not many of these stories are in canon anymore, depending on who you ask. But like I feel Lucas like film? we've seen, <laughs> yeah, but some like, but then they, then they reference stuff that I thought they said they were throwing out. But anyway, that's true. Yeah. I would, I feel like I've seen enough of pre episode one. Oh, for sure. I want to know more about like what happens after the rebellion defeats the empire. Yeah. Like the new version, not the ones we've seen in the books. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but three shows seems like a lot. It would be really hard, especially if you can't get the actors that are like paramount to those stories. And that's why it seems to me that it would have to be something like take place in the side new. stories. Yeah. You know, uh, like a show about bounty hunters or a show about um, throw here. Here's what I want to see. And we'll talk about it a little later in my review, but throw in McGregor a buttload of money to do six episodes of what happened between three and four on Tatooine. I want that. I want that show. That would be pretty great. Yeah. I'd watch that. Uh, Well, okay. So this rumor is obviously take it with a huge grain of salt, but yeah, this wasn't the only site to report it. I mean, they were all linking to the same, you know, rumor page and everything, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened, but no announcements have been made. So maybe we shouldn't get too excited yet cautious optimism i doubt they announce anything before the the next movie comes out absolutely there's no way yeah to be continued yeah talk to us in december that's the big news for this week if you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed hit us up at the thn forums where i'll be posting my essay on the philosophical differences between star wars and star trek and trying to help joe understand the difference between a bantha and a bothan like seriously a bantha is something you ride and a bothan is like a werewolf looking guy but you can you right no Every week, my favorite Wampa groomer, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums, encouraging intelligent discussion from all over the galaxy, and also to Orca. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? It takes nerves of steel to groom a Wampa, let me tell you that. That's true. Yeah. This week's question comes courtesy of Answer of the Week stalwart, Randy Andrews. What is your favorite nerdy theme song or score from TV, movies, or video games? I am expanding on Randy's question just a little bit to encourage a wider variety of responses. So I expect a lot of creative answers here. If you think the theme song from Airwolf is the greatest thing ever composed, we want to talk about it. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, August 7th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype using the handle two headed nerd, all one word or at the ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. If you're feeling fancy, you can send us an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it short. You've got about two minutes. You will get cut off because Matt's a jerk. He's been really sticking to that lately. He really has. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the Answer of the Week podcast. It's my favorite thing. It's a great It's review time on THN, where I sit here and pretend to care what my co-host has to say about this week's new comics. Keith, why don't you tell the listeners what you read this week, and I am definitely not going to sit here and play Hearthstone while you talk. I chose to review Star Wars number seven this week from Marvel Comics, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Simone Bianchi, colors by Justin Ponzer, 32 pages for $3.99. Solicit, a special one-off tale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Injustice reigns on Tatooine as villainous scum run rampant. Will Ben risk revealing himself to do what's right? I think he's going to let everybody die. (laughs) Spoiler alert. 
Jason Aaron's Star Wars run has been a phenomenal ride so far. When I saw this issue was a one-shot following some of the adventures of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Tatooine, I was instantly stoked. Late last year, Sideshow Collectibles put out a polystone figure of Obi-Wan set on Tatooine in the period before New Hope and after the Clone Wars. It had everything. Two different heads, one a young Alec Guinness and another an older Ewan McGregor. He had a bit of his Clone Wars armor still, some Tusken Raider gear, and the lightsabers of Anakin Skywalker and Qui-Gon Jinn, as well as his own. And I don't collect figures, but I would have killed for this one. And this book perfectly tells the story of the guy in that figure. As always, Aaron is firing on all cylinders, and Bianchi's art is glorious as it ever was. The story revolves around Ben questioning his value, since he can't help people the way he used to, and Owen Lars won't let him train Luke. Jabba the Hutt's goons are stealing what little water there is from moisture farmers, saying it's a tax. Ben does what he can without revealing himself, and a young Luke tries to steal the water back. Action ensues. Ben has a renewed hope by the end. See what I did there? You're fired. Bianchi just crushes it with the art. If you're familiar with him, you know what I'm talking about, and if you're not, then get familiar. He has this loose style. That when paired with Justin Ponzer's coloring, which is almost a watercolor, is just fantastic. It's flowing and kinetic. Honestly, this book is everything I wanted it to be. Please buy it. Yeah, I agree. This is a fun side story. And we just talked about that space between episode three and four is kind of ripe for storytelling. And yeah, we have Star Wars Rebels, but that doesn't follow this corner of the universe. And so to to know what Obi-Wan went through, the frustration that he felt that he couldn't or he felt he couldn't act out, you know, according to his Jedi principles and, and stuff, right. because yeah. protecting Luke was uh, was priority and Uncle Owen wouldn't let him train. Here's a pro tip. Don't take him to his evil dad's home planet and not change his name. I know, right? It's never made sense. That was the worst part of the regals. But anyway, I thought Jason Aaron and uh, with some great, you know, expressive art by uh, Mm. Simone Bianchi uh, just really got that frustration across. And that's something I never really thought of is is how Obi-Wan went from this badass superhero paladin, basically, uh, basically, and is now this ineffectual hermit. You know, just kind of watching and hoping and 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 praying that everything goes goes well. It almost like felt like it doesn't really come up in the book, but I feel like maybe he almost kind of welcomed <laughs> the chance yeah. to like get his lightsaber out and get dirty. Oh yeah. The one thing I would have liked to see was he he did in the book he does a lot of talking to Qui Gon Jinn, but with no response. And I thought that he should that there should have been one because that is specifically how the last prequel movie ends is like. Yoda being like, I have training for you. Yeah. And I, thought that was like the best part of the, that movie anyways. I was like, Oh sweet. They're going to really get into this thing and ghost Qui-Gon makes, make us some ghost Qui-Gon. Yeah. I'm giving it a buy it as well. The, The Marvel star Wars book is just really wonderful. And this is a great one shot story. You don't have to have read the beginning part, uh, the, the first six issues. Though you should, though you should. Yeah. And it just does a great job kind of filling in more of the missing history that got wiped out when Disney decided to take uh, Star Wars away from Dark Horse. (laughs) Yeah. Joe Patrick, what are you reviewing this week? This week, I'm reviewing Richard Matheson's The Shrinking Man, number one from IDW, adapted by Ted Adams, 
with art and design by Mark Torres and colors by Tommy Varga. It's 32 pages for $2.99. Here is the solicit. I forgot this. Uh, we read this last week. Uh, phrasing is important, guys. <laughs> Richard Matheson's exploration of shrinking manhood is brought to vivid life in this comic book adaptation. Scott Carey, reducing one seventh of an inch per day, faces tension big and small as his body continues to shrink away. Bum, bum, bum. Just by coincidence, I'd recently been discussing this Richard Matheson story with occasional guest host Dave DeMarco. I had no idea that this was due for a comic book adaptation from IDW, and it was a pleasant surprise to find it on the stands this week. Because it was a super light week, dudes. The Shrinking Man is the story of Scott Carey, a man whose height decreases by one-seventh of an inch per day after being exposed to a mixture of chemicals. So if the dude's six feet tall to start and he loses an inch every week, he is not long for the world if you do that math, which I failed to do It was really off mic. Fun. It was really fun. And I had to correct myself. Using a mixture of Matheson's original dialogue along with his own, writer Ted Adams highlights the frustration and the danger brought about by Carrie's condition. Like the original story, the issue doesn't follow a linear path. Scenes of Carrie's decline are interspersed with thrilling scenes where he finds himself alone and starving at an inch tall, narrowly avoiding dangers found in a basement that would be all too common for us. The story takes place in the 50s, so there's a classic sci-fi feel to the plot and the dialogue, but when Adams stops leaning on Matheson's original script, the result isn't always successful. The basement scenes in particular are awkwardly written as Carrie narrates the action out loud for the benefit of the reader, but Mark Torres's art would have been strong enough to carry those scenes without making it seem like the main character was talking to himself. Speaking of the art, I really enjoy what Torres and colorist Tommy Varga did here. Torres utilizes a great double-page spread at the beginning of the book, coupled with some inset panels that really give a sense of scale and make Carrie's small problems seem almost insurmountable. Torres's faces are distorted and abstract in an almost grotesque way, but it works for this kind of unsettling story. I think Torres and Varga would be right at home in the Mignolaverse drawing a Lobster Johnson or an Abe Sapien story. While there were some awkward moments of dialogue, I thought this was a really well-executed adaptation of a compelling story, I'm definitely on board for the rest of this series. I'm giving it a buy it. Keith Binder, what did you think? Keith Binder failed in his duties. You to had read the one book. job. I totally forgot to read your review. I'm your review book. I'm stupid. And but it's a, a Dick Matheson book, right? Yeah, Dick Matheson. <laughs> Good old Dick Matheson. He uh, is the I Am Legend guy, right? That's him. I'm sure it's phenomenal. And I believe in everything Joe says. So I would say buy it too, because he's not stupid. You heard it here first, America. Keith is sure it's probably fine. I woke a tie, oh, the littlest cowboy rides again. So that's a double buy it for Star Wars number seven and a single buy it for The Shrinking Man number one. As always, we want to know what you inch high Jedi thought of these comics, so use the force to influence the THN forums with your opinions by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. 
Matt's out of town, and that means Joe is all but given up on his podcasting responsibilities. But we still have a lot more show to get through, so join us while we review 10 of this week's new comics as fast as humanly possible before Joe checks out completely during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! JLA, Gods and Monsters, Superman, DC... J.M. DeMatteis joins Bruce Tim for this look at a really chilling version of Superman that lived a very different life than the one we remember. I wasn't sure what to think of the animated feature that this story is based on, but I really enjoy this alternate take on the Man of Steel. The art by Moritat is really great throughout, and I'm definitely going to check out the movie and the other tie-in comics. Buy it! X-Men 92, number 2 for Marvel! Oh boy, where to start? I didn't read the first issue of this series, but I get what it's about. It's about Chris Sims bloviating all over the page, his encyclopedic knowledge of the history of these characters. The art is rather terrible, and the story isn't of any consequence. Seriously, there were there are pages of long-winded exposition about the history of Wolverine, Storm, Rogue, and Game, and it is just terrible. Leave it! Flash Annual number four, DC. Van Jensen teams up with artist Bong Dazo to give us the backstory of Professor Zoom's new supervillain army. This was an interesting read spanning hundreds of years as Zoom recruits and trains this group he hopes will take down the Flash once and for all. I enjoyed the art by Dazo, though it did have some rough moments. This is a worthy companion piece for those enjoying the current Flash storyline, but not essential reading otherwise. Strong skim it. Lobo Annual number one from DC. I haven't been reading DC Comics for a while, and especially not anything with this new Lobo. I miss the zaniness of the old Lobo. Anyways... This is a story about Lobo on a hunt for Sinestro to collect a bounty on him. It's an action piece culminating in a fight with Sinestro, who stops the fight by canceling the contract that he put out on himself. It was all a test of Lobo's skills. I guess he got a new job? Anyways, if you're caught up on Lobo and the Green Lantern books, I bet you will enjoy this. The art is pretty great, too. Skim it! Mythic number three from Image. Bill Hester and John McRae continue their epic in the making as mythic teams around the world start dropping like flies. That leaves our local squad of supernatural repairmen to investigate the attacks. So many wonderful ideas on every page of this book brought to life by John McRae's amazing art. This is an absolute buy it mythic wonderful. Superman number 42 from DC. Again, haven't been keeping up with the Superman either. There's a re- you got a real theme going this oh, week, yeah. Keith. Picking things I wanted to tear apart. Anyways, but I had heard good things about this new arc. Uh, this is the Clark Gets Found Out by Lois issue, and it was rather lackluster in its execution. I felt nothing, not like I have in previous versions of the Secret Identity reveal. Then they go off to fight the big bad, I think, but it's a hacker or some form of it. It's all very millennial and really not for me, but that doesn't mean it wasn't good. I'm just old and jaded, and J.R. Jr.'s art with Klaus Jansen still sucks. Leave it. The hacker thing, yeah, this wasn't. (laughs) I had real high hopes for Gene Yang on this book, but I did not enjoy this issue. No. Guardians team up number eight, Marvel. A crippled spaceship with a million souls on board, a ruthless force blasting it all the way to the ground, and in the middle, Groot and the Silver Surfer teamed up for a daring rescue. But what mysterious quest can bring them together in the midst of this conflict? And what is the prize that they may both be willing to sacrifice themselves for? Great questions, right? 
I wish I cared about the answers. But writer Ray Fox chose to make this a completely silent issue featuring a character that already barely talks and another that normally refuses to shut up. Thanks to the lack of dialogue and the borderline incomprehensible art by Bengal, it is impossible to care about what happens in this pointless issue of an already pointless series. Leave it! Boom. Seriously, Guardians team up, get rid of it. Oh, man. God Hates Astronauts number 10 from Image. I'm one of those a-holes that has all of God Hates Astronauts but hasn't read a single page yet, so I thought it would be funny to do issue 10, the last chapter of the Cosmic Apocalypse arc. Boy, was I right. While I have no idea what is going on in this book, it is a blast to read. Time travel via blowing into a Nintendo cartridge? That's amazing. <laughs> the story wasn't easy to follow, but there thwarted crab invasion, an evil dude tricking digital people into believing they were being upgraded to 128-bit, a baby rescue, and the narrator, Mr. Cowboy, gets arrested by LeBronson, a cross between LeBron James and Charles Bronson, <laughs> for the murder of Charles Soule. This is the most bonkers fun book. Going back to read the rest, buy it. Keith knows a thing or two about uh, thwarting a crab invasion, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Speaking of crap, Lobster Johnson, a chain forged in life one shot, Dark Horse. Leading this issue off with Kevin Nolan and then switching him out for another artist is a dirty damn trick. But Troy Nixie does a fine job illustrating Mike Mignola and John R. Cutie's tale, Christmas Caper, Gone Awry for a group of hapless Santa nappers. Why we got a Christmas story in July is beyond me. Christmas in July. But more Lojo is always a welcome gift. Buy it! Donald Duck number three from IDW. I'm a big fan of Carl Barks and Don Rosa's Duck books. I love them. This is my first foray into the new IDW series, and I was excited to see how well they would hold up. There are two stories, and the art is great in both. The first story sees Donald and his cousin Feathery, I think is his name, are on, and they're on a mission from Uncle Scrooge to discover why his planes full of gold keep disappearing in the same place. Uh, it is really great fun. The two-page backup story is in the classic short-form style and sees Donald trying to get rid of junk the day after Garbage Day while Huey, Dewey, and Louie tell him he will get in trouble. He does, as usual. Seriously, it's really great stuff. Buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round and is the sound Joe made when I offered to fill in for Matt this episode. As heard by me earlier this week, now head to the THN forums and let us know what you thought of your weekly haul in the This Week's Comics section. <sighs> Matt's most recent absence has me rethinking my role in this little exercise in futility we call the two-headed nerd. After all, if he can't be bothered to show up for work, then why the hell should I? So, Keith and I have invited our buddy the Gardener to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where he's going to use his time gem to peer into the future to see if I pull out of this funk and maybe find something on next week's release list for us to get excited about. Keith, has the Gardener's time portal shown you anything promising? Mm, yes, indeed. My pick for next week is We Stand on Guard number two from Image Comics, written by Brian K. Vaughn and art by Steve Scrochy. It's Scroochy, right? Yes, I think so. Okay. Like Jim Croce, but with an S.
Solicit, the summer blockbuster from Brian K. Vaughn and Steve Scrooge continues as the futuristic conflict between the Canadian freedom fighters and their American occupiers takes a shocking turn. I liked number one. It was so good. But I feel like I did not like it nearly as much as most other people liked it. Yeah, maybe not. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I was like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. All right, I'm into it. I'm, I'm, in, I'm excited to, to see where it goes from here. What are you interested in reading next week, Joe? Can you tell that was written? (laughs) (laughs) Point out the parts that are scripted. It's a new (laughs) THN drinking game. My pick for next week is John Flood. Number one from Boom Studios, written by Justin Jordan with art by Jorge Coelho. (laughs) Wow. Coelho? It's a great name. Here's your solicit. As the result of a government experiment, John Flood no longer needs to sleep. But now he's in a constant dream state and sometimes can't tell what's real and what isn't. But a side effect is that he sees patterns and makes connections no one else can, which serves him well in his new career as a makeshift PI. Together with a burly ex-cop, Blood begins to investigate when he sees one man responsible for thousands of unsolved murders, but now he himself has caught the killer's attention. Ooh, that sounds good. I love broken detective stories. Yeah. Monk, Desolation Jones from uh, Warren Ellis. Yeah, yeah. I love detective stories about dudes that are up. Oh, yeah. And this sounds like a great time. I love Justin Jordan. Jorge Coelho did uh, the Sleepy Hollow comic adaptation, and his art is very good. Uh, I'm really interested in checking this out. For a second there, I thought it was like a... a, uh controls probability kind of thing but or sees probability kind of thing like a long shot kind of thing maybe oh like a luck kind of manipulation no yeah, i yeah yeah but i think it, it's and like, then the rest of the solicit went on and i realized i was stupid. right like i, I just kind of love that idea where because of his lack of sleep and the way his brain works he just sees patterns that most of us would ignore that sounds very yeah. interesting to sounds me. great the THN trade of the week is American Barbarian, the complete series hardcover from IDW, written and drawn by Tom Scioli. 256 pages for a measly $29.99. Solicit. American Barbarian is a pop art odyssey from the artist and co-author of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe. Amazing. A red, white, and blue-haired hero must defend the post-post-apocalyptic world from the immortal two-tank omen. I don't know what that means. Me either. But I remember if you looked back in your IDW comics recently, there were these full page ads drawn by Tom Scioli that just looked like He-Man, but with that red, white, and blue hair <laughs> yeah. and nothing else. It just said American Barbarian. Yeah. It looks and so I was like, good. what is that? I want to read it. Yeah. It's going to be bananas. Come next week. Now's the time. Remember, kids, the use of time gems isn't legal everywhere, so check online for local time portal dispensaries in your state. Unless you have a gardener friend of your own, once you've sampled the goods and seen a glimpse of the future, let us know what you're excited to read over at the THN forums. Is it obvious that I don't really know anything about drug culture? Yeah, I mean, you're talking to the same kind of guy. I have no idea. The blind leading the blind over yeah, here. Yeah, we need Matt. We need we need Matt's drug drug addled brain to help us. Fables ended 
its 13-year run last Wednesday after 150 issues, 22 trade paperback volumes, and 11 deluxe hardcovers and counting. Much to his eternal shame, Joe Patrick once found himself nearly four years behind on the series he once considered one of his favorites. Now, just in time for the grand farewell, Joe re-entered the world of Fabletown for his segment we call Catching Up on the Pile. God, I hate that name. I hate it It so needs much. a little work. For those that have never read it, Fables was the story of a group of fairy tale characters that were exiled from their homelands by a tyrannical emperor and forced to take up residence in New York City. Fables that could pass for human enjoyed life in the heart of the city. Those that can't pass, you're talking pigs, anthropomorphic flowers, and giants, for example, live a secluded life on a farm upstate. Fables ran the gamut of genres from comedy to murder mystery to war epic to high fantasy and more. And it's all really filthy, filthy language. Not uh, a lot, not I a mean, lot, but it's, it's an adult It's book. mature readers, but yeah. it's tame, like, compared it's, to Preacher or... Yeah. <laughs> or like an Avatar book. <laughs> I started losing track of Fables somewhere in the early 100s, and I struggled to stay caught up for a while before giving up completely, until now. Over the past two weeks, I've devoured about 35 issues of the series, including the grand finale. For those that followed the series from the beginning, an argument could be made that Fables reached its natural conclusion years ago. But series creator Bill Willingham and artist Mark Bunkingham continued to breathe new ideas into the book, like the story of Buffkin, the flying monkey from Oz that returned to liberate his homeland, the destruction of Fable Town at the hands of Mr. Dark, and the comic-obsessed Pinocchio, assembling his own version of a superhero team. In the time that I was away, Willingham continued to introduce new relationships and evolve old ones, and he never shied away from letting characters change completely or even die right up until the very end. Without spoiling too much about the last couple of storylines, Willingham and Buckingham delivered a satisfying conclusion to a conflict that's been bubbling since the very first issue and gave touching heartbreaking and hilarious send-offs to nearly all of the series' featured characters. Ten years ago, I would have told you that Fables was my favorite ongoing series. That may have changed as new titles came and went, but Fables has been with me for as long as I've been working in comics. Literally, for real, it came yeah. out, it started about three or four months after I started working. 2000. Uh, it came out in early 2002. Early 2002. And I started working in comics in late 2001. And so it's always going to mean something special to me because of that. The series definitely has a place on my list of favorite runs of all time. We toss the word around a lot, but if any series is worthy of truly being called epic, I think it's Fables. Agreed. I'm so glad I took the time to reconnect with the series and I wholeheartedly recommend it to anyone out there that's looking for a nice long run to sink their teeth into. It was a wonderful ending. And now it's over. So you don't have to worry about catching up with issues. I know a lot of people get, you know, freaked out about reading something that is still ongoing because they'll catch up and then they won't have anything to read for a couple of months. And it's like, yo, calm down. Yeah. It's just, this is a, a nice lengthy run that you can just really get into and kind of absorb over time. You know, it was, it was 13 years worth of books. It's, it's 22 volumes. And I'm not caught up because I came to it a little late, but from what I have read of it, it's like, it's a perfect story. Like so far. 
ask me again when I finish it, but I really think it's one of the better runs ever right up there with like why the last man and preacher and Transmetropolitan stuff like that. Yeah, it's super, super great. I love it. The entirety of Fables is available in trade paperback form and digitally, and hardcover editions are still in the process of being released, and they are so awesome. There are lots of ways for you to check out the series, whether you're a first or you just need to catch up on your pile like Joe did and like I am doing currently. The more we say catching up on the pile or some derivation thereof, the worse I feel about it. Somebody, somebody hit us, hit us up and uh, tell us what you think we should call that segment. Yes, thank you. Um, we will. I, I will give a prize. Lay, lay it on us. Lay it on us. What should the new title for Catching Up on the Pile be? Post it on the forum. Send me an email. Whatever you want to do. I will choose a winner completely arbitrarily. And I might send you a prize. How's that for non-committal? It's, it's an autographed picture of his face. I gotta get rid of him somehow. <laughs> And that is it for the one bearded weirdo is as good as another episode of THN. If you like shows where half of the hosts are just phoning it in, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, reviews, thumbs up, or hearts, or whatever the hell they have on those sites, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to our latest donor, Sam McGuffey. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as $1 a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, which why wouldn't you be, shoot us an email with the subject line Sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. And don't forget to sign up for the THN Forums. This is your little virtual piece of the Ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, ask us to review your self-published comics, suggest alternate names for existing segments, whatever. Or just rap about comics. Yeah, I left that line out, but thank you for including No problem. If you dig the music you hear on this show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. I love it. Before we go, our shout out goes to Rowdy Roddy Piper, who died last night. Yeah, super bummer. We just found out literally right before arriving here to record, he was found dead in his home at age 61. Cardiac arrest. 61? It's a hard life. How old am I? You're not 61. I guess. Oh, yeah. He would have been in like his 30s and 40s when I was a kid watching him. Wow. He'll be missed. I loved Roddy Roddy Piper. I'm going to go home and watch They Live in his honor. Oh, absolutely. And because we didn't want to leave you on a super dour dour note, uh, we have a second shout out this week to our buddy Chase Magnet, who got his first article published by Comics Alliance this week. Where do you change? Everyone, get over to Comics Alliance and check out Chase's great piece about We Stand on Guard, which we just talked about. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer will have to resort to moonlighting as a comics journalist if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Hey, thanks for being here, man. Like, I feel a lot better. I'm, like, re-energized even. Like, I think you should take over. Do you want to take over... 
the show permanently? I mean, you know, he's just on tour with his rock star band. He'll be back next week. Right? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>